All right, well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We want to proceed and we want to get back to where we were two weeks ago when I spoke of a bit of an introduction and an overview of the book of Ephesians and uh, where we were, some of the thoughts and where we were going to head with that. So I think because it's been a couple of weeks, I just want to, uh, obviously, the need to refresh ourselves just quickly. But um, the... The emphasis in the book of Ephesians is the church, the church of Christ and Christ being the foundation. And so, um, you know, it's a revelation, that was a mystery that was revealed in, in its time and so forth. And so Paul is giving us a wonderful, uh, under the inspiration of God, is writing a tremendous epistle that's giving us such insight and understanding and revelation concerning God's purposes and will in Christ Jesus. And so, um, there's obviously there was the six chapters and it was broken up into two parts. The first three were doctrinal and the last three were uh, practical. The two themes are our, our wealth that we have in Christ and our walk with Christ or in Christ. And so, um, and these are the predominant um, uh, points that are being highlighted through the epistle. And so, but we went a little bit further, if you'll remember, and I broke it up into three categories in which we spoke about um, this issue of sit, walk and stand and how the Christian life is captured in that in, in, that, uh, in that, that phrase and especially as it applies to the book of Ephesians itself which we will continue to highlight and that's going to be a bit of an overarching theme to what we're going to consider. But the, the book itself obviously uh, moves systematically and it moves in that sequence, sit, walk and stand. And so that's why we're going to continue to have that at the forefront of our mind as we uh, begin to work through some of these things. And we're going to see how uh, the, the doctrine of Christ that we find here in the book of Ephesians and how it is to apply uh, to the Christian life. And so it's critically important that we, we, we grasp this because it is, one, it's the truth, it's God's word and it's something that has been uh, uh, in, in the purposes of God, it's been revealed by God. And now us as children of God, having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, having been saved and all that comes with that now in terms of our inheritance and being in Christ Jesus, it is imperative and critically important that we have a proper understanding of God's will and purpose for the church corporately and us individually, obviously, that applies to so it is important that we grasp these things. And as a babe in Christ, we're just, you know, we desire the pure milk of God's word. We thank God that we've been saved, amen, from eternal punishment. You know, uh, we know the gospel and we understand Christ uh, died for our sins and we, uh, we believe on the Lord and we turn from our sin and we follow Jesus. And so we're so thankful for eternal life that we won't suffer the wrath of God or eternal judgment and so we've passed from death into life and so this is the milk of God's word and we just rejoice in that. But you see, salvation this morning, as wonderful as that is, there's so much more to the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus and we grow into the knowledge of God 
and we're growing into Christ and Christ being the foundation and Christ is to be formed until we come unto full stature, so this process of maturity. And so in this process of growth and maturity it is imperative that we understand the basic doctrines of the Christian faith and the Christian life especially. And so... Uh, because if we don't build on the right foundation, even as Christians, we'll find ourselves running into various problems. And, but thank God in his mercy that he helps us and he teaches us. But we are now in Christ. We are now children of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And that carries so much truth and so much meaning to us. And they're the things that we want to glean and draw from this particular Epistle. Now let me first say from this, the first instance that this is not a typical verse-by-verse verse teaching uh, on the book of Ephesians. Obviously, um, Pastor Wynne is not here and so I, I have the liberty to get a, a run on some things. But in light of that as well, um, you know, I could spend plenty of time in the book of Ephesians, let's be honest. So I'm, I, I want to condense it, I want to try and touch upon it. We will move through verses, undoubtedly, but um, it's not a typical verse-by-verse verse, uh, teaching um, as we progress. So I just want to make that known. But we will see and identify many, many verses that within, contained within the epistle themselves. But remember, we are considering it in the context of sit, walk and stand. So, and uh, that theme this morning obviously will be around standing. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll read from verse number one, uh, through to verse 14 for now. But keep your Bibles open because we'll be referencing to other scriptures there as well. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the, uh, of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. 
Amen. Father, we just pray, God, enlighten our understanding in these scriptures this morning, Lord. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, such as Paul himself prayed in this epistle. God, I pray you'd bless us as your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we just read what really is such a wonderful declaration from Paul the Apostle concerning the Christian and his position in Christ Jesus. It is a wonderful declaration of the redemption that is in Christ and just what that means, what it entails, the various aspects that are associated with such a greatest, great salvation, amen, that we are, have become partakers of. And so he's using multiple words to express this, to give us an understanding and a revelation of what this salvation is and what it means to us individually, what it means to us corporately as the church of Jesus Christ and how glorious and how wonderful these truths are. These verses are so rich. You read them and they are, they are just jam-packed. Word after word, there is so much that is contained within this portion of text that we have just, just read. We could go through verse by verse and just begin to just touch upon each one of these things and draw out such wonderful and glorious truths. It speaks of our wealth that is in Christ Jesus, all that we have inherited now remember, in what we have read, the overarching thought that we're still considering is to sit. Sit, walk and stand as it relates to the epistle of the Ephesians. And so before we go further as well, I want us to lay a, a, bit of a foundation a bit further because after Paul makes this declaration in these first 14 verses... His immediate response after this declaration is he says in verse 15, he says, Therefore, in light of everything that I have just written and proclaimed and declared concerning Christ and yourselves, he says, Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to pray for you. So this declaration of these truths leads Paul to pray for this particular church and these particular people uh, that he's ministering to and writing to. <coughs> Excuse me. And he is praying. And why is it that Paul moves into prayer? Why is it that Paul moves into prayer? Because uh, in stating all that he has just declared in those verses... Uh, uh, that he's, he, he cannot assume that everyone he is writing to has a full grasp or an understanding of these realities and these truths. And so therefore, in light of that, uh, he says, since I've heard of your faith uh, and the genuineness of your faith in Christ Jesus, my prayer is I have not ceased to pray for you and what is the nature of his prayer? His prayer is contained within the epistle itself and we can read, if you get with me, um, because he wants them to understand what he has just said. He wants them to understand uh, the, the riches that they possess and they have in Christ Jesus. And so he offers up a prayer. Look at verse 17. He says that the God 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. You see, Paul is offering up a prayer and this prayer contains five specific key aspects, if we can narrow it down, and he's saying, I'm praying to God that you would be given, look, that the God God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is critical because Paul understands that what he is writing and what he is desiring to show them and teach them about their inheritance and position in Christ is imperative on God revealing it and making it known and making it real to them. Because we are tracking in spiritual things, church. Paul understands this. This is a spiritual uh, uh, life that we are talking about. So Paul is dependent upon God to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and giving them a true knowledge uh, of himself. He also says uh, that that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Again, he's talking about the mind that the eyes of your understanding, that you would have a revelation, a clear view, a clear perspective, a clear grasp of the truths that relate to this gospel and to the inheritance that's yours. He says that you may know the hope of your calling, that you would be assured of exactly what it is and whom you have believed and the purpose and plan of God that relates to you and that which is still to come and to be fulfilled as part of your inheritance and the purposes of God in Christ Jesus. He says, in what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Or in other words, uh, this is not our inheritance that Paul's referring to. He's talking about uh, his inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints. Amen. Because we are his children. Hallelujah. The church. Amen. And the people of God that make that up uh, um, in the body of Christ, the bride of Christ as we know it. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Thank God we have an inheritance, but God has an inheritance and that's us. And you think, gosh, who are we? And then there's another thing that we would know, the exceeding greatness of his power. So these are the things that Paul is highlighting. These are the things that Paul's praying for. And so in praying for these things, how are they going to come about? How are they going to happen? They're going to happen by by way of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. You know, this is not, what we're dealing with is not rooted in our intellectual abilities this morning. Far from it. It has nothing to do with uh, 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 our, our capacity to intellectualise, rationalise, philosophy, and whatever else you want to put in there. <laughs> It comes down to, amen, a revelation and that revelation has to come from God and God, amen, has given us uh, his spirit uh, and it's his Holy Spirit that reveals these things to us, amen. 
That is why Jesus himself said uh, in John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, uh, this actually verse 12, John 16, verse 12, we'll start there, but the Holy Spirit is the advocate. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And Jesus says uh, in, to his disciples in John 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However... When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now, that's the principle. This is how it works. Now, I want you to take note of the words when Jesus says he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. Because this is what we're finding here in these texts. I'll show you what I mean in a moment as we move through this. But look at verse 19, verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul talks about the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power And he says in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, now this is the power of God that raised Christ from the dead and seated him. Now, there's that, keep in mind, sit, okay? Now, here it is, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now look at verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the body. We are the body. Christ feels all in all. I will take of what is mine and I will declare it to you. And so there's something intrinsic here that we have to understand and this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is the advocate of the Father in that he teaches us, amen, and reveals unto us these glorious and wonderful truths. Now, Christ himself has been raised from the dead and the scripture says is that, he is, uh, that, that he was seated, or he is seated at the right hand of, uh, in the, of God, obviously, in the heavenly places, far above principality and power. You see, what we're dealing with first and foremost is spiritual, is it not? Christ is seated in heaven. Christ is at the right hand of God. Christ is seated in heavenly places, seated. And it is from that place, amen, that he he rules and reigns and in which the, the execution of his sovereign will in the earth is being fulfilled even now as we speak. You see, we're talking about a spiritual reality and that's why when we talk about Christ and we find in Scripture on 
hundreds of occasions the phrase and usage of the word in Christ, that it means now that there's something about Christ that relates to us because the scripture says that we are in him. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, all things become new. So it's about understanding this newness. It's about understanding this newness of life that is in Christ. And we are in Christ. And that is a spiritual reality, church, that we must grasp and we must understand that we are in union with Christ. What is the mystery of God's will that has been revealed? Christ in us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in us. I told you, this, this life is spiritual. And you must understand this. You must grasp this. This has to be a revelation from God to us. The Spirit of God must declare these things to us. It must show us the reality of these things. See, for the new Christian who is born again, who's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, something has happened. Something has happened. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. That's what Paul wants us to have a clear perspective and revelation concerning. That we're just not saved from our sins, amen, and thank God that, for that. But the Christian life is far, far more than just that. And so... Our identification with Christ is, a, is one that is, must be comprehended and understood. And this is what Paul wants everyone or every Christian to know. And he starts with the fact that Christ obviously um, has done all that he has done and risen from the dead and so forth, but he is seated and now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. You see, what does that tell us? It tells us that salvation is finished. That's what Jesus said in the cross, remember? It is finished. It is complete. He came, God uh, came down from heaven in the incarnation. We have Christ, amen, and he walks the earth. He's born to die and the whole plan and purpose of God is being fulfilled. In the cross, he, once he finishes, he says, it is finished. He dies, he's buried and on the third day he ra he's raised from the dead and then he ascends into heaven and he takes up his place physically in his celestial body and he is seated and the work of salvation has been fully completed and he sat down. Amen. It's done. It's completed. It's finished. And he is in heavenly places. Now remember, Jesus said he's going to take of what is his and he's going to declare it to us. And amen, and he's going, not only that, it's going to go beyond that, he's going to give it to us, amen, because of all that he has purchased through his blood and the inheritance that we have received in Christ Jesus. Because again, go back to verse 3, where we find the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places in Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And we, he is in heaven, seated in heavenly places. And guess what? We are seated in heavenly places. 
You say, well, how? I'm standing here. <laughs> I know. What we're dealing with is spiritual church. It's not physical at all, yet. But this is the reality, this is the truth, this is what the, the Paul is talking about. It's the Christian's perspective and understanding and experience now. We are in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By being in Christ, that's the basis. See, we can see this further and, and we'll go there. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, let's read from verse 1. We're talking about our position as a result of our identification and being in Christ Jesus. Listen to this, verse 1. And you, meaning us, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were uh, by nature children of wrath, just as the others are. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's who we were. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We were under the power of the wicked one. We walked in disobedience. We fulfilled the lusts of the flesh. We were wicked. We are evil. But look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, this is what Brother Sam was talking about, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can't, you can't just read that and skim over it. You actually have to stop and think, what is being said here? Because we were dead in trespasses and sins, but now we are being made alive. The Lord, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the life of God, eternal life, that we are partakers of the divine nature. And in light of this, uh, amen, the Bible says that according to his great mercy, because of his great love and his great grace, we were dead in trespasses, we have been made alive. And part of that incorporates this. We have been raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places. Christ is seated in heavenly places. And we have been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that is a glorious, glorious truth. One to the natural mind that has no, it actually sounds insane. To the carnal, natural mind, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But to the Christian who is born again, this is the foundation. This is the spiritual reality. The moment we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment, amen, that we had Christ, we were Christ in us and we were in Christ, this is what happened. 
and we were made to sit in heavenly places and with Him. He raised us up together. You say, well, look, I'm still here. Because we're talking about a spiritual life. And this, this truth... This reality must be grasped, it must be understood, it must be clear to our minds. The eyes of our understanding must be grasped this. Then we must have the knowledge of this truth. This is done by the exceeding greatness of his power by which he raised Christ from the dead and now we, this same power is working in us unto the same, in the same manner. We are in heavenly places. We are seated. And this is the foundation of Christ. This is the foundation of the Christian life. And it must be understood by every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are seated. And again, what is it saying to us? Again, salvation is complete. Salvation is complete. That's why we can sit, enter into his rest. We don't have to try and earn our way. We're not saved by works. We don't have to now feel as though we've got to continue just to run and to walk and please God and somehow appease Him. Because, you know, we've got to earn our salvation. No, 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 no. Salvation's completed. We are partakers. Now we are seated. We are in his rest. We are partakers of his victory that he has accomplished and all that he has done. Hidden. The Holy Spirit has taken what is his and has declared it to us. Hallelujah. And we possess it. Faith inherits it. Amen. Because it's already ours. We just come to the full revelation of it uh, and we appropriate it for ourselves, amen. And this is what brings about assurance. Uh, this is what brings about a strength uh, and, uh, and the foundation of Christ is laid by which the Christian can stand and be secure and knowing that he's been accepted in the beloved and, and so, you know, so it says in all of these particular verses. See, so many people in the world are so... They're tireless, even in, you know, in religious, in all the religions of the world, you have to do this, 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 this. People are striving, they're working, they're aiming because they want to somehow, but they, they don't know what the word sit means. Oh, no, 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 there's got to be more. I've got to do more. Can't rest now. You just never know, you know. Oh, oh my God, it's on my deathbed. You better get the, uh, the, the priest coming and give the last rites, you know, because otherwise I won't be in grace, you know according to Catholic doctrine. So everything's, you know, the next thing you've got to do to be accepted because you've never understood what it means to sit. They don't know it. It's foreign to the, to the religious world and to the people out there. So they think, oh, I've got to do more good works. Or there are those, you know, uh, you know they've, got to be, they've got to do penance. They've, they've got to atone for their sins. You know, isn't it funny how uh, occasionally you hear around this Easter, Christmas time, all the, the fanciful, nonsensical things that take place in the world in the name of religion, you know, and so people, you know, they're showing how, how holy and how uh, pious they are and, they, you know, they flagellate themselves. Somehow thinking that God looks at that and thinks, oh, what a, you are so wonderful. And God looks at it and thinks... 
you are so stupid. Because, you know what, I've already done it all. You just need to learn to sit, be seated in Christ Jesus. They have no concept, no understanding of this. And so they do all of these stupid things to be accepted and somehow earn God's approval. And it's just crazy. But that's what happens. But that's not the only thing. What about the child of God? We're talking about the unsaved. But you know, even for the Christian, the the proper understanding has to be set in place. Now, I know this from my own experience, as I've shared many a times. I've been a Christian now 25 years, but I remember in those initial years, uh, uh, even though I I said, thank God I'm saved, my sins are forgiven, but I always felt I had to do more to just be approved and accepted. You know, And there's lots of reasons for that, but that was the mindset. And in the process of time, God began in, to, as you read his, his word, began to reveal things over and over and over and, and set, amen, that, the foundation of Christ and reveal how th- things were wrong in my understanding and application. But you see how liberating it was. I was like, oh my gosh, I can sit, I'm seated. I, you know, and it's from that position that you move forward in the Christian life. And so Christians have to learn to sit, so to speak, and understand that the the Christian life is not something that you have to work hard in your own strength to try and appease God, to please him, to be accepted by him, because the scripture says in Christ you are already. That's your position, not because of anything you've done or can do or will do that will change it. It's because of everything Christ has done. And we rest in that. We, we are seated with him. I'm justified by faith. Ah, therefore I have peace with God. You see, faith is the possessor of our wealth in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? It is. It really is. Faith inherits the promises. And so God begins to teach us. The Holy Spirit reveals these things to us. And then all of a sudden the revelation comes uh, and we take ownership of it, amen. Faith lays a hold of it and it becomes ours. Now it was always ours. But sometimes we just we were ignorant of this truth. And that's how it works at times in the Christian life. <coughs> so let's, if we can, just quickly. Again, I said it wasn't going to be a verse-by-verse commentary and it's not. Or teaching, but I do want to just, in light of everything I've just said, let's look at those first first 14 verses in the book of Ephesians. And now, in light of everything that we've just spoken, let's make a, a little bit of sense of it and see how wonderful and glorious these things are. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in Christ or in, sorry, uh, in the heavenly places in Christ. And so we've already touched upon that. But then we see in verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love 
Now just think about that for a moment because when you read these words, they are so rich. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You see, before the foundation of the world, he chose us. Now let me preface this. I'm not an adherent of the Calvinistic doctrine of predestination and election and so forth, although I believe it, but not in this, no, I don't define it in the same manner. And so when we read these texts, I'm, we're not talking about somehow that God chose you and said, well, I'm not choosing you because you're chosen for damnation. We don't believe in double predestination in which God chooses those who will be saved and chooses those that won't be saved in the end. The gospel is to all. God desires all all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So when it says he chose us before the foundation of the world, we must understand in terms of God's grace, we are dealing with, uh, uh, Jesus said himself, no one comes unto the Father unless the Father draws him. It is God's initiative. It is God's grace. This, This is where all this stems from. And God gives us in an acceptable time, I have heard you on the day of salvation, I have helped you. And the grace of God that is extended to us at a time in our lives when we were not looking for God. I know I wasn't looking for God. He was not part of my mind in the, uh, in, in the life that I was living. But I tell you, he came to me in his grace and he awakened my mind and he drew me by his spirit and through his grace. And it was from there, amen, that I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so it, it, salvation is God's work. It is God's initiative. Absolutely. But in part of that process, uh, we... No, let me say this. As I've said it before, I won't go over it again because I preached on this not long ago um, in Ephesians chapter 2 there. God believes for no man. We have to exercise that faith. But God gives us the grace to do so. To be able to make that choice. And so we were chosen in him, in him. That is the corporate body of Christ, the church. And that's, what's be, that's the overview too we, we must have in relation to this. Or in other words, the, uh, one man said it this way and I'll, I'll quote him because I think it's, uh, he's hitting the nail on the head the way he explains it. He says, the election to salvation is corporate and comprehends individual men only in identification and association with the elect body. See, the church is the, the, the elect, which incorporates, amen, individuals, absolutely, but on the basis of our choice to be identified with him. And so God in his foreknowledge and in his predetermined purpose, at an appointed time, amen, in our lives, he came to us. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And then in drawing us to himself, amen, we, uh, we were given the option to either reject or to choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment, amen, that we put our faith in him and we chose to, uh, to, to believe in the gospel, we were saved, hallelujah. And so we see here, uh, just in verse 4, just as he ch- uh, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without him before him 
without blame before him in love. What a position that we, 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 we take in the immediate time that we trust in Jesus. The Bible says we are declared righteous. We are declared holy. We are without, we are separated now unto God in Christ Jesus without blame before him in love. Verse 5 having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to his good, the good pleasure of his will. He predestined, amen, those, um, amen, that will be in Christ uh, and in doing so we are adopted as sons. We are, we, we, there's a son, and sonship and the issue of becoming a child of God, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And so again, what a, what a privileged position. We have been adopted as sons. We have been, because we were alienated, we were dead in our sins, we, we were so far removed from God and now we have been adopted, we have been uh, uh, translated into the kingdom of light and we have become the children of God. Again, a glorious, glorious inheritance and position that we take according to the good pleasure of his will. You know why? Because we don't deserve it, church. We don't deserve that position. But according to the good pleasure of his will, he said, you know what? Just like the prodigal son when he came back and he said, you know what? I'm just going to go back and just be a servant because you know what? I'm foul. I have done evil. I have wronged. And, uh, and what, does it, what does the father do? Bring the best robe. Put it on my son. Shoes for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. Rejoice. Why? Because my son was dead, but now he's alive. He's lost, but now he's found. And this is the this is the elevation, Amen, that we have in Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places. We don't deserve that, but yet that's where we are. According to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the beloved accepted we are already accepted you don't have to do anything to be accepted other than to believe on what he has already done so again I, I could go through these particular verses but I, I'll let you read them specifically in your own time to meditate upon them but he says um, as I conclude in verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, the day in which we believe, Paul says, immediately we were sealed it is that we will stamp, we will, uh, this word seals carries with it the understanding that we have been stamped, we are secure in Christ Jesus. And so we are safe. It's the stamp of ownership that God would, would say, you are mine. And so uh, that seal is, is precious that has been given to us, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And look at the next verse. Who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. See, the Holy Spirit in us is the first fruits of the Spirit, according to Romans 8. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, who is a guarantee of the, uh, of the security of the purchased possession that we have. We are Christ's. And not only that, it is a guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit in us is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And this is exactly what we're waiting for. Hallelujah. Because we are waiting for, inc- for corruption to put on incorruption. When the dead in Christ will rise and those that remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Hallelujah. And the day will come, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, death has been swallowed up in victory and we will put on incorruption and we will be perfected in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Because we know that that is still to come. You see, it's, isn't it wonderful we have these things now, but not yet. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. Amen? Yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. To the glory of God. And so I know what I, in whom I've trusted and I know in what, what will happen and where I will be. As such assurance and such confidence, I'm seated in heavenly places. And the day will come when, amen, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and corruption shall put on incorruption and we shall be with the Lord forever, amen, in our glorified body, celestial body, whatever form that will take. But what a day it will be. And so we rejoice in these things, hallelujah, because it will all become a formality in the plan and purposes of God. And we have it now but it will yet to be fulfilled. And we, 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 we have faith, we have hope, we have such confidence. Praise the Lord. So in saying all of that, I'll leave it there this morning. But I pray that you have seen something in what has been ministered this morning. I pray that you would understand what it means for you to be seated in heavenly places, to be made to sit together with, as corp- corporately with him, which means individually as well, in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places, church. And Jesus is far above principalities and powers. And that's why Paul will move towards those things later. But we've just, con- and we'll probably still consider some other things as we consider sitting, but that's where we're at and we'll leave it there this morning. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you for the word of God this morning. I thank you, Lord, for that which has been written, that which has been accomplished in Christ Jesus, the inheritance that we have received. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Father, we... We know, Lord, it's all because of your great love, your great mercy, all because of grace. We don't deserve nothing. And yet, Lord, what an inheritance we have received. You even speak of the inheritance that you have received, Lord, in which you see us. Lord, 
What, we love you because you first loved us, Lord. And we bless your holy name. God, bless all your people that are gathered here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay.